In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Bible study tonight is Psalm 118. And this Psalm actually is a celebration of a victorious person who delivered his people from death, and he himself is delivered by God from death. This son is celebrating the delivery and victory by God, as if there is a procession to the temple in order to give thanks to the Lord and to praise the Lord for his deliverance and also for the victory. Of course, this psalm is a prophetic psalm. This Psalm 118 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. And until now, actually, we use it in the liturgy. For example, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It is verse 24 from this psalm. And, and many, many other verses like what we chant in, uh, in Good Friday, the Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. Also, it was a liturgical psalm in the Old Testament. They used during the, their celebration in the temple. And it is the last of what we call Egyptian Halil Psalms. What's Egyptian Halil Psalm? These are six Psalms from Psalm 113 to 118. And in the celebration of Passover, in which they celebrate the deliverance from the land of Egypt, they used to pray these Psalms from 113 to 118. Do you remember? After the Lord ate the Passover on Covenant Thursday, it's written in the Gospel, and they praised and left to the mountain of Olives. What did they praise? Most probably these six Psalms from 113 to 118. So the Lord Jesus Christ prayed the Psalm on the night of his crucifixion in the upper room before going to Gethsemane and before going to the trial. Who is the deliverer? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So this psalm is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who delivered us from the death and he himself was delivered from death by his resurrection. And the Lord Jesus himself quoted this psalm when after he spoke about the parable of the wicked vine dresser, he quoted verse 22 when he told them, Did, have you not read the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? And this psalm actually we pray it in uh, the 11th hour of the day. And in the ordination of a new patriarch, before he enters the closed church, 
in order to say he is the good shepherd. You know, the Lord said the good shepherd enter from the door, but the thief and the robber come from other way. So in the ordination of the patriarch, we close the doors and we give him the key to the door of the church. And while he is opening the door of the church, he reads verse 19 from this psalm. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. So as I told you, this psalm is liturgical until the day. We use it in, in different part of the liturgy and as well as it was liturgical in the Old Testament also. And the last time we finished until verse 18. So today we'll start from verse 19. Start from verse 19. So verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. So at, at this point, it seems that the procession, and I told you it's a procession of the deliverer to the temple. So at this point, the procession reaches the end. They arrive at the temple. And the psalmist suggests with the image of the gates of righteousness, that is the holy door of the temple of Zion. When the procession reaches the doors of the temple, David is saying the door of the temple is the gate of righteousness. And I will explain why. So the procession accompanies the hero, the deliverer, to whom God has granted victory. And why the gates of the church or the gates of the temple in the Old Testament are called gates of righteousness? Because the church is the dwelling of the righteous God. And from the church, God manifests his righteousness in the salvation of his people. In the church, we receive the sacrament by which we are saved. Here, the hero, the deliverer, asks that the gates be opened to him. Why? So that he may praise the Lord. After the Lord granted him victory, so he arrived at the temple to praise the Lord. So the psalmist probably had in mind a triumphal entry into the holy city with those gates open and he would go through them full of praise to the Lord. Gates of righteousness also are the gates of the kingdom of heaven because kingdom of heaven is all justice. Also, gate of righteousness can point to the heavenly Jerusalem where no sinners are to be found. No sinners are in the heavenly Jerusalem. And I will praise the Lord. He said, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will praise the Lord. If you remember in Psalm 84, verse 4, we read, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, 
they will still be praising you. In the church, our main responsibility is to praise God. We are here to praise the Lord. So the Lord Jesus Christ praised with this psalm, as I told you, after the eight, the Passover on Covenant Thursday. So he proclaimed his entrance into the ultimate reality of heaven. So when the Lord said this psalm, open to me the gate of righteousness, it's about his ascension. Because the earthly Jerusalem is a shadow, is a type of the heavenly Jerusalem. And after his completed work on the cross, and after his deliverance from death in the resurrection, he would be received in glory at ascension, while he is saying, open to me the gate of righteousness. Then verse 20, this is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. This is the gate of the Lord. Now, one may picture the singer actually passing through the open gate, declaring God's great works for the righteous. He opened the gate, then he entered. While he is entering, he is saying, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. So he is praising God and declaring God's great work for the righteous that he opened for us, we unworthy, we undeserving to enter into the church. This gate of justice is the true gate, the only gate that leads to the Lord. Therefore, only the righteous and the just shall enter through it. In verse 19, the psalmist mentioned the gates of righteousness, plural, open to me the gates of righteousness. But in verse 20, he is speaking singular. This is the gate of the Lord. Probably, it refers to the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ as the firstborn of those risen from the dead. Because no one entered into the heaven of heavens except the Lord. So open to me the gates of righteousness. That is our prayer. All of us who are praying that God open to us the gates of righteousness. So all of us may enter into the heaven of heaven. But verse 20, who entered until now? Only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He preceded us and entered by his ascension to heaven in order to open the gates of the righteousness to us because through the Son we will be counted only righteous. So I want you to imagine there is one gate the Son will enter through it and he is the gate and through him all the gates of righteousness will be opened so we can enter into the heaven of heavens. Verse 21, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. So verse 19, before entering, he is opening the gate. 
verse 20 while he is entering verse 21 after he entered he is now inside the church he is saying I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation in verse 21 he explains what he said in verse 19 in verse 19 he said that I may enter and praise the Lord now he is saying I will praise you having passed through the holy city he openly praising God in front of everybody why? because God answered his prayer and granted them salvation as he said for you have answered me and have become my salvation so God is our salvation for though the just as for many and various things in this world definitely even the righteous will ask for different things in this world but if we want to say what is the most important prayer for the righteous or if God asks them you have only one prayer to pray so what would be this one prayer as we read in Psalm 27 one thing I have desired of the Lord that, I, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life so concerning this petition then he says I will praise you for you have answered me you opened me the gate of righteousness which is explained more fully when he adds and he have become my salvation you are my salvation you granted me victory even over death you were my hope and now you have become my salvation Saint Clement of Rome commented on the gates of righteousness and he said for many gates stand open many gates but the gate of justice is the gate of Christ and all are blessed who enter by it and direct their way in holiness and justice accomplishing all things without disorder verse 22 which is the verse quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone so verse 19 before he entered verse 20 while he is entering 22 after he entered then he looked around the temple and he found it's built with a stone and then he looked at the corner stone he remembered how the corner stone was rejected by the builders but now it became the corner stone so a metaphor from the building as if a stone should be cast away by workmen as unfit the builders they will say this stone is unfit this figure can be applied to anyone who actually feels rejected in the church and God can use them St. Paul in the beginning people were afraid from him and they said this one is the one who is persecuting the church of God but he became a very important stone in the church the corner stone is the stone connecting the walls together 
and it is the most important part of the structure. So a large and a strong stone was needed for this purpose. What was there in their mind? We know the corner stone is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. But literally, historically, who is the corner stone here? It's Israel. Israel that was rejected by the whole world. The whole world was warring against Israel. Nevertheless, despite their rejection, they reached such a position that Israel considered the head cornerstone. Jesus Christ was born from the Israelites. And the church of the New Testament started where? In Jerusalem. That is the first church. But we know now it is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to St. John Chrysostom, he said, the stone which the builders rejected is evident and clear to everyone that it refers to Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ applies it to himself in his sincere warning to the Pharisees of the consequences of rejecting him. Also, St. Peter quotes this verse and he mentioned it in his speech in Acts chapter 4 and in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. St. Paul quoted the same verse in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Christ is the cornerstone. Because Christ unites heavenly and earthly, the angels and godly men together. He unites the Jews and the Gentiles. He unites the Old and New Testament saints. So he is the headstone. He is the chief cornerstone. Verse 23, this was the Lord's doing. When the builders rejected a stone and this stone became the cornerstone, it's not human doing, it's God's doing. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. How Jesus, who was rejected by the scribes and Pharisees, by the priest and the high priest, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. He is worthy of death. Now he is the cornerstone. So the psalmist spoke here on behalf of those redeemed by the Lord and whose life and future is built upon this chief cornerstone. We the Christians, we the believers. Because as St. Paul said, you were built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. And Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. So the believers rejoice in God's marvelous work despite the rejection of the builders. Builders are the priests of the Old Testament. It is the Lord's doing, meaning it is his economy, it is his plan without any intervention on the part of man. That's why it is marvelous in our eyes. It is a matter of wonder, for rejoicing, for praise, that the one who is despised, rejected, crucified, now he has been raised from the grave and his teaching has spread all over the world for 21 centuries.
And Jesus himself, as St. Paul said, he was exalted far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Ephesians 1 verse 21. Then, after he reflected on all of this, he looked at this victory and said, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day on which such a thing was accomplished. Which day is the day of resurrection? Beyond the doubt, is, the, is really the day of resurrection which the Lord has made. Because this victory was accomplished by His resurrection. That's why if you remember the psalm of the gospel of the feast of resurrection, the psalm of the gospel of the liturgy of the feast of resurrection, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in And why we chant this every Sunday in the liturgy? Because Sunday is a day of resurrection. Therefore, for such a favor, we will rejoice and be glad in the day of the Lord. And when actually the Lord quoted Psalm 118 verse 22 about the cornerstone, He did so in response to the praise and Hosanna given to Him. He did this on, on Palm Sunday or Hosanna Sunday. When the, the children start to say, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees said to the Lord, please say to, to them to be silent. So the Lord told them, if they be silenced, the stones will, will speak. And then he told them the cornerstone which you rejected became the chief cornerstone. That's why some say the day of the Lord is Hosanna Sunday, when this is the day which the Lord has made is Hosanna Sunday, because on that day the people cried and said Hosanna in the highest, this is the King of Israel, and the Lord quoted the cornerstone. So the day mentioned here may be prophetically understood as the day Jesus formerly entered Jerusalem as Messiah and King. And that's why we prefer to use the word Hosanna Sunday more than Palm Sunday. Because Hosanna means uh, salvation. He entered and he started the journey of salvation on Sunday, but he accomplished it on the day of resurrection. There is no contradiction if we say it is Hosanna Sunday or the day of resurrection, because Hosanna Sunday in the beginning, he entered to be a sacrifice, and on resurrection he accomplished. St. John Chrysostom comments on the word day and says, here he gives the name day not to the sun course, not the 24 hour of the day, but to the achievement road in it. And he said, if you speak about an evil day, it doesn't re refer to the course of the sun, 
the sun is dark on this day, that's why we say it's evil day. But to evils in it. So to a good day means the achievement in it. So when we say this is the day which the Lord has made because the achievement, the victory, the resurrection, the opening of the paradise that was done on that day. Verse 25 Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. So these are the very places the crowd saluted our Savior as he entered Jerusalem. With the exception of using the word Hosanna. As I told you, Hosanna means save us. So here in the psalm, it's save now, which is Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. And O Lord, as we have it here in, in the psalm, save now, I pray, O Lord. So thus the Lord on that day wished to make a visible exhibition of and to anticipate the invisible triumph he was about to enjoy on the day of his resurrection. So when the people said Hosanna in the highest, this is the king of Israel, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When the Lord actually quoted Psalm 118, he wanted to tell them, go read Psalm 118. Have you not read the cornerstone that was rejected? Well, the stone that was rejected by the builders became the cornerstone. Go and read 118. It is fulfilled right now. It's fulfilled on the day I entered Jerusalem. And it will be accomplished next Sunday when I rise from the dead. So the psalmist is praying that God will continue and carry forward the work which he has begun. Send now prosperity. Save now. Send now prosperity. So he told him, you started and you accomplished. Continue and carry forward the work which you have begun. I pray, send now prosperity. It is very similar to the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 1, verse 11. The context of the open gates in verse 19 and the coming into the city as well as the arrangement of the psalm give the sense that these are words from different speakers or part of choir. It's not the same person saying all of this. The deliverer entered, he said, open to me the gates of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous. Verse 24, like the choir, the congregation, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray. So in response, the deliverer said, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send the now prosperity. Like in the liturgy, Abuna says something. Congregation says something else. The deacon says something else. Then verse 26, most probably, chanted by the priests because there is a blessing in it blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord who have blessed you from the house of the Lord some part are chanted by the deliverer by the hero some part by the congregation and some verses by the priests until now we use this part blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord before we read the gospel 
and also we use it in Hosanna Sunday. This blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the priest or the Levite in charge of the temple, bless the entering procession. So when they see the deliverer is entering in procession, so they chant the priest, say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These words were used by the multitude that followed Christ as he went into Jerusalem in order to eat his last Passover and to suffer and to die for his people. And we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. These are the words of the priest. In the Old Testament, there is a benediction for the priests used to say it. You can read it in the book of Numbers, chapter 6 and verse 29. So we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. These are the words of the priest, one part of whose office is to bless the people. They are responsible of blessing the people. Verse 27, God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. God is the Lord. This is a brief but important focus on God as the true God above all idols. And actually, before Abuna dismissed the people in every liturgical assembly, Abuna says what? Bechristos Benuti. Bechristos Benuti means what? Christ is our God. It's the same God as the Lord. Before he dismisses the people, he's asking them, is Christ your God? They answer, Amin al-Sashubi. Yes, indeed he is. Yes, so be it. It is taken from here. God is the Lord. It is a summary of all, as much as to say, our Lord is true God. So Abuna, when he says, Christ is the true God. Not only that, but he has given us light. He has shone upon us by showing us the light of his mercies. By having mercy on us, then he has shone upon us. And the Lord might be said to show them their light by sending the Messiah to them, who came a light into the world. People were sitting in darkness and shadow of death. But with the birth of the Messiah, light have shone upon the world. These are the words of the people, acknowledging divine favor. So the priest said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So the people respond, God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Here the people are acknowledging divine favors, particularly that the Lord has caused his face to shine upon them as the priest wished for them. Why I said that the priest wished for them? If you read the benediction in, in Numbers chapter 6, actually it's beautiful benediction. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So this was the benediction. 
The priests in the Old Testament, they used to say, The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So there are six prayers. One of them is make his face shine upon you. So in response to this, the people confirm this blessing and they say, yes, indeed, his face is shining upon us, he has enlightened us. The Lord is God. God is the Lord and he has given light. So he has given light as a response to the benediction of the priest. So having received the priestly benediction, the procession resumes. They have entered within the court. Now they are approaching the altar of sacrifice and they have brought their offering. And they said, God is the Lord and has given light. Since God enlightened our spirits to see and to acknowledge his mercies, now we will offer sacrifices to him. God has led us as he did the people by the pillar of fire in the wilderness. So as God in the wilderness of Sinai, he led the people by his light, pillar of fire. So God enlightened us and he's bringing us to the altar to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Now we are here. We received the priestly blessing. Now we stand before the altar with our offering. That's why he said, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. Bind the sacrifices with cords. Mean what? Mean take a lamb for sacrifice and bind it with cords and bring it bound. Lead it to the altar where they will slay it and pour the blood upon the horn of the altar which were the usual rites in the sacrifice. Or it means bring a large number of sacrifices bound, as many as will fit the court to the altar, even up to the horn of the altar upon this joyful occasion. Because usually the sacrifice is not bound to the horn of the altar, but it means bind the sacrifice in itself slay it, take the blood, and put it on the horn of the altar. So it may signify a huge number of sacrifices as would fill the court and reach the altar. In the Septuagint, it's different. As we prayed in the Agbeya, in the 11th hour, it says, ordain a feast with those that reach the horn of the altar. Ordain a feast with those that reach the horns of the altar. There is nothing is mentioned here about bind a sacrifice. It's here about make a feast. This procession that reaches the altar, let us make a feast. But when we make a feast, in the feast actually what we do, we offer sacrifices. So let us see how the church fathers, because the church father, they used the Septuagint 
So how they interpreted this verse? There might be a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles here. As if he is asking to appoint, to appoint, to ordain a feast day by bringing in lots of great branches to ornament the temple to the very horn of the altar. The word that's translated here, courts, in the original language, it means branches, green branches. Ordain a feast and decorate the altar with green branches like Hosanna Sunday until the horn of the altar. And Saint Jerome explained the word courts to mean strong branches, bow of leafy trees, with reference either to the bows of which the booths were made or to the bundle of branches known in later times as Lulab, which the worshippers at the Feast of Tabernacles carried. So it's remarkable that the Lord Jesus Christ chanted this word with his disciples few hours before his crucifixion on Covenant Thursday at night before going to Gethsemane as if he is seeing himself bound to the altar, to the cross as if he is inviting God the Father to bind him to the cross in making a holy sacrifice for sins at God's appointed altar, which is the cross. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, when St. Paul said, we have an altar, make reference to the sacrifice of Christ at an altar. So the altar here is the altar of cross, the altar of the New Testament. And as we follow Jesus, our forerunner, we also bind ourselves with cords to the horn of the altar and to offer ourselves and our bodies as a living sacrifice to Jesus, as St. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Verse 28, You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. So this is acknowledgement made by each and all and probably repeated many times, you are my God, I will praise you, while the sacrifice is being consumed upon the altar. These words may be taken to be in the mouth of the deliverer. So now who is speaking? The deliverer himself, who arrived through the open gates. Because before opening the, the door, he said, open to me the door that I may praise the Lord. Now he is saying, you are my God, I will praise you, you are my God, I will exalt you. So he rightly surrendered himself to God, filled with praise in view of the ultimate triumph. So the voice of Jesus singing this praise and exaltation of God echoed through the upper room on Covenant Thursday as evidence of his submission and obedience. When he said, you are my God, I will praise you. How, I, how Jesus praised the Father and how he exalted the Father by obeying, he obeyed unto death, the death of the cross. 
Last verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. By the way, this is exactly verse number one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So verse one and verse 29, which is the last verse, are the same. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So the psalm began with a cheerful and heartfelt praise, oh give thanks to the Lord, and it ends with the same, recognizing once again the goodness, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever, the goodness of God at the end of it all. And he concludes the psalm as he began it, for God's glory must be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of all our addresses to him, in the divine liturgy actually. We start by glorifying the Holy Trinity and concluding by glorifying the Holy Trinity. In the beginning, Abuna says, Glory and honor, honor and glory to the whole Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he says, Blessed be God the Father, Pantocrator, blessed be His only begotten Son, blessed be the Holy Spirit. And the congregation responds to Xabatri, which means glory to the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And the liturgy actually ends when we say, lead us throughout the way into your kingdom. Because after this, it's a fraction. That's the beginning of the communion. The fraction and the communion. So how we ended? That in all things, your great and holy name may be exalted and glorified with your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. As we begin the liturgy with glorification of the Holy Trinity, we end the liturgy by glorification of the Holy Trinity. In any prayer, how we started by saying, Glory to the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. And how we ended, Amen, which is glorification to the Holy Trinity. God's glory must be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of all our addresses to Him. As St. Augustine says, with this psalm commences, with this it ends. It starts and ends by giving thanks to God and praising the Lord. As from the commencement which we have left behind, so in the end, whether we are returning, we start by giving thanks to God and praising Him. And then he, we left it, but we return it back to giving glory to God. There is not anything that can more profitable please us than the praise of God. Nothing can actually please you and make you profitable than praising God. That's what St. Augustine says. Then the praise God and Alleluia even more. Alleluia is praise the Lord. Hallelu means praise. Ya Yahweh, Shahova. So Alleluia means praise God. This actually concludes Psalm 118. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.